to the Paper Cuts Podcast, issue 41. I am your host, Dan Ryan, and with me tonight, well, nobody. Dean is at too many games, Evan is indisposed, so it's just me. I've got a couple of comic books that I read this week that I'd love to talk to you about, some really good stuff that came out this week, and something that came out last week that I happened to miss. So we're going to start there with that one. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode this week. I apologize for that. Hopefully things will be back to whatever semblance of normal that we always have next week. Evan will be back to talk to you about Secret Wars. There's been some some good stuff going on with Secret Wars. It's been, well, you'll just have to wait till next week to find out. There was some good stuff that came out, though. The Old Man Logan stuff has been pretty cool. The Planet Hulk stuff, I, I loved the Planet Hulk. You know, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see some of that back. This had Extinction, which was pretty cool, uh, which was a pretty cool uh, throwback to an old Avengers crossover. But I digress. Evan will catch you up on all of that shit when he's back with us. I want to start off talking about Black Canary number one. Now, if you guys are listeners to the show, you know how I felt about Convergence. I did not love it. Spoilers. It wasn't very good. But some interesting stuff has come out of it, and one of those interesting books is Black Canary Number 1. Now, it's written by Brendan Fletcher, who is currently doing the new Batgirl book. The artist in this uh, in this new ongoing Black Canary series is Annie Wu, and right from the get-go, the artwork in this book, incredible. Really, really good artwork. The storytelling from panel to panel, the action sequences the facial expressions, the stuff that, you know, the the white space in between panels is called the gutter. And in the gutter is where a lot of story happens. And really, really good artists can make that transition from panel to panel flawless. And that's what Annie Wu did in this issue. The art was just spectacular. The coloring was spectacular in this issue. I loved it. I really honestly loved it. It felt so much like an image book. You know, if if any of you guys have read the Hawkeye stuff that Matt Fraction and uh, David Aya was doing, felt very similar to an image book. This Black Canary book feels very, very similar to an image title to me. And really, reading through the book, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. I, I did like this book. I do think that you should pick this book up because it is a really interesting take on the Black Canary character. It it I don't know how much sense it makes to... Well, well okay. The story here is that Black Canary, going by the name Dee Dee, um, is now in the Black Canary Band. And the band is on tour throughout the country... And she's doing it. She's the lead singer in this band, and she needs the money. They have uh, been promised her band will get a check at the end of her tour, and apparently it's going to be for a decent amount of money. These were uh, a a group of musicians who presumably uh, were not making it until Black Canary showed up and lent her very distinctive and very powerful voice to this band. One of the members of the band, uh, a young lady named Ditto, who is the guitar player, does not speak, but apparently is able to do things with a guitar that 
shouldn't be possible without the use of effects pedals or stomp boxes, as they call them in the book, because Black Canary uh, is is kind of clueless uh, throughout this book as to what all this stuff means to be in a band or, or how to be in a man or be in a band or how to be a front woman for a band. And there's kind of a, a couple of cute scenes of dialogue back and forth between her and her bandmates about, you know, things that are going on. But as they are going from show to show, uh, violence seems to be following them. They seem to be getting attacked by these random people at every show they go to. And that's starting to lead to some tension in the band because uh, club owners are threatening not to uh, pay them (laughs) because the Black Canary Band has destroyed (laughs) their venue. And they're like, well, you know we're not going to pay you. You've destroyed the venue. And you know, I got to, I got to repair all this shit before another person can, can come in. And, and who do you think you are? And then black canary shows up and the promoters are usually like, here's your money later. Thanks. Um, the writing in this was really good. Um, Brendan Fletcher did an excellent job creating an interesting voice, uh, for the characters. They, they all feel really unique, but, the, the main thing, like I was saying, that I could not get out of my head reading through this was that this is an image book. And I, I appreciate, I suppose, that DC is taking the chance and taking Black Canary in this new direction. But, and and here's where I have a problem when the mainstream, uh, the the big two, Marvel and DC, do this kind of stuff with, uh, with their characters. This isn't going to stick, right? Eventually... Black Canary will be back to being Black Canary and she's not going to be in this punk rock comic book for, you know, the next five years or whatever. And the story really isn't a five-year story. It's it's a, a smaller story arc and it could go on for a little while, but the, the premise itself uh, has a stopping point. And I think it's going to be a really interesting ride uh, to get to that stopping point, but it seems kind of like like if they if this were just an image book or Oni or Dark Horse or whoever that had the same team on it but instead of Black Canary it was a brand new character it would I don't know I think it would serve the the purpose of the story a little bit better because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to take a chance on this book because it's not the Black Canary that they know and that's a shame because it's a really solid book and it's really worth picking up so uh, <clears throat> that came out <clears throat> excuse me that came out on june 17th uh you, comic book shop still should still have it it's part of dc's big relaunch so black canary number one go out pick it up get in on the ground floor it's it's a really really solid book i think you'll dig it if you're into uh comic books a little bit outside of the mainstream sticking with the brendan fletcher theme though um and new kind of interesting takes on female characters. We jump over to Batgirl number 41, brand new this week, and the first Batgirl issue after the new Wii U, uh, <laughs> the new DCU, whatever the hell we're calling it. This is the the big controversial uh, cover issue with the Joker smearing the lipstick, and we talked about it on the show before and just kind of how ridiculous all that was and and no the the cover does not depict 
what is going on within the title, but that's why there's multiple covers, and you as the consumer have the power of choice. You know, you don't like this cover? Don't get this cover. Get a different cover. Um, that being said, what was really interesting about this book, because I've I've really, really liked what they've done with the Batgirl character, uh, with this new creative team that, that jumped in and took over, and it's been just a really refreshing take on the character. It's been a really interesting take on the character Cameron Stewart's writing has been um top notch on this book the art by Babs Tarr uh has been just absolutely phenomenal and, and this book and <clears throat> and Black Canary both remind me very very much of a of a very Scott Pilgrim style of artwork and if you're into the Scott Pilgrim books and you love the way that those looked definitely pick these two up the other interesting part about this book is that this is the first meeting of Barbara Gordon Batgirl and James Gordon Batman. Batman in in this new universe is former commissioner James Gordon with a jarhead haircut and no mustache and a big robotic Batman suit. And right in the beginning of the book, uh, Batgirl is going to take down this... <clears throat> Um, I don't even know what you would call them. Like, d- Livewire is the villain that they're trying to resurrect, but they were uh, it, almost like an occult kind of thing, almost like cultish type followers trying to resurrect Livewire. Is this just kind of a seemed to be a, a the rebirth of a throwaway character? I don't know very much about this character. I've, I'd never seen her uh, before this issue, so I don't know if she was a throwaway character. But the way that it was approached seems very much like uh, like the creative team is, is pulling from from a story and from a character that had kind of been ignored. There's this cultish group trying to resurrect her, and Barbara Gordon jumps in, and she's fighting them and bringing them down, and then Ro- Robo-Batman comes flying in, smashing through the uh, smashing through the wall and, and takes out all the members of the cult and then looks at Batgirl and says, Batgirl, you are under arrest. And, you know, she makes her escape after somebody else attacks him. So right now in the story, we are, you know, in the first couple of pages, uh, Dad is trying to arrest his daughter, but she doesn't know that he is Batman and he certainly doesn't know that uh, she is Batgirl. I, <laughs> it's kind of... Where you have to make the uh, the the grain or two of of salt as you you know this is supposed to be one of the greatest cops in the history of the universe, and he is standing face to face with his daughter, and she is wearing a mask that covers the bridge of her nose and her forehead, and he doesn't recognize that it's her. So, you know, uh, again, you know, take it with a with a grain of salt. But anyway, the story progresses, and uh, Commissioner Gordon or for- Bat Gordon shows up to Barbara's house as she is talking to her uh, her partner, who's helping her out on the missions, and he takes her out for a walk like they used to do when they were kids, or when she was a kid, and he confesses to her, "I am Batman." And I needed to to tell you this because I couldn't stand lying to you, and I couldn't, I didn't want something to happen to me as Batman, and you not know that I led this double life. 
and she tries to tell him that she's Batgirl, but uh, gets interrupted and, you know, she's going to continue to keep that a secret for a little bit. Livewire shows up again. She attacks Batgirl, goes to stop her. Uh, Batman shows up again and they're about to get into a fight. Livewire kind of disappears. There's some some witty banter that goes on between them and Livewire disappears and Batman is left. Batgirl, you're under arrest. That's your cliffhanger. Again, the artwork, Babstar is is absolutely killing it on this book. It's such an, an, an interesting mix of traditional superhero artwork with a very cartoony style that just really works. I love the way that this book looks. And and again, very much like Annie Wu on Black Canary, the storytelling from panel to panel, the facial expressions of the characters. A lot of times, a lot of these artists leave their characters with kind of dead-eyed stares and they're not really looking at the people that they're talking to and, and the jump from, from panel to panel doesn't really make a lot of sense and you have to fill in way too much in the gutters in between, but but not so in this book. The action sequences are great. Uh, really the only, <laughs> the only knock that I had against this book, and I think this is one of the problems that we're going to end up running into, is that the new Batman costume, this new robo bat suit thing that Commissioner Gordon is wearing looks ridiculous when Greg Capullo is not drawing it. I haven't seen anybody else draw it where it looks even remotely okay. When Greg Capullo draws it, it's like, all right, that's kind of badass. I kind of see what what you're going for there. But uh, And that's not Babstar's fault. It is, I think, the fault of, of the direction that they're taking with Batman. But uh, that is... Uh, really neither neither here nor there. It's it's a minor gripe in an otherwise really stellar comic. If you're not reading Batgirl, you're really missing out on just a really fun, really solid book month to month. And I was a little worried about this book coming back from the the reboot and the convergence stuff, but it hasn't missed a beat. It is just, it's just fun. And that's missing from a lot of comics like the next one we're going to talk about. See, Chris, that's how you do segues, buddy. Walking Dead, number 143. Of course, written by Robert Kirkman. Of course, drawn by Charlie Adlard. And, goddamn, if if you are not reading Walking Dead, if you are not current on the story that's going on, um, there is far too much for me to tell you in this little mini-cast here that we're doing to catch you up on everything. But suffice it to say shit is about to come off the rails in a big bad way. There's been this group of zombies going around um, being led by a group of humans dressed in zombie skins. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is still a little fucked up from being sick. I apologize for the for the coughing and the clearing of the throat, but what are you going to do? The, the leader of this group of humans, her name is Alpha, and she is possibly the scariest villain that they have had so far in The Walking Dead. What happens in this issue is going to lead to such a clusterfuck for Rick and everybody else in this community that they've built. And they've built such a lovely community. And it's what Robert Kirkman does so well is this book will go issue to issue to issue of not much happens 
other than the town is rebuilding and people are falling in love and people are getting pregnant and there's going to be babies and they're organizing for a town fair and oh look the town fair is happening and why the fuck is alpha in the town who let her in god damn it you guys but they don't know they don't know that she's a bad person there's so many people involved in in the three different little areas that they have right now that they can't keep a track uh, of everyone they don't know who everybody is and Alpha sneaks her way into the town fair that they're having and sees all the stuff that Rick has done in his community and how it's almost getting back to normal and what happened a couple issues ago with one of the, the young uh, women that was with Alpha kind of is manipulating Carl a little bit. It seems like she's manipulating anyway. Maybe she really does like him. Maybe she really is attracted to his gaping hole in his face. Um, But the way that this girl talks about how Alpha abuses the other people and just kind of mental abuse and, and Carl trying to be the hero that, you know, that he wants to be goes off to save this girl like like young boys do when they're in love. They do stupid stupid shit and Rick finds out and he takes a team out to go find Carl he eventually ends up getting captured by Alpha's people um they have a conversation Rick and Carl do and Carl says you know basically dad I'm not not going back with you without you know without my girlfriend I came out here to save her and I'm not going back and you can't make me go back and Rick kind of comes to terms with that and says, okay, you know, that's fine. If, if what you think you're doing is right, Carl, then, then you have to do what, what you think is the best thing. And then Rick has a conversation with Alpha and she talks to him about how easy it would be for her to destroy everything that he has built. And he kind of gives her this incredulous look of who the fuck do you think you are? I'm Rick Grimes, goddammit. I have survived everything. There is nothing that you could do to me. And she takes him up on this wall and has him look out into a field. And it is the biggest horde and collection of walkers that there has ever been in this book 143 issues in and there has never been this sort of threat that this group of walkers poses to everything and the problem is that alpha is kind of in control because the walkers don't know that she is not one of them and they follow her and literally um, tens of thousands of walkers just outside and that's where the book stops. And it was like, mother fucker, Robert Kirkman. Every time you like The Godfather, every time I think I'm out, you pull me back in. Every time I think maybe we're just going to get a little bit of happy. <laughs> That'll be okay. We'll have a little bit of happy for a little while. You throw this shit in there. And The Walking Dead re- continues to be an absolute must-read book month after month. It's an astonishing accomplishment of what 
Kirkman and Adler are able to put out month after month, 143 issues in for this book to be this gripping, this interesting is fascinating and just absolutely well played Mr. Kirkman and Mr. Adler. You've got me for as long as you keep putting out shit this good. Last book I'm going to talk about, speaking of things that have are just consistently great. Like I say, The Walking Dead is a great book. Uh, no shit, it's a great book. However, the best thing I read this week, and it doesn't surprise me because it's usually the best thing I read every week, which is why I don't talk about it very often on the show. But the best thing I read this week was Daredevil 16. Written by Mark Wade, Art by Chris Samney. What a fucking issue. If you haven't been reading Mark Wade and Chris Samney's Daredevil, you have missed out on perhaps the most consistently great superhero book that any company is putting out. And I include Robert Kirkman's Invincible in that too, which is probably the second most consistently great superhero book. But what's great about Daredevil is that it is a superhero book without the overwrought giant massive fight that is going on Daredevil is such a personal small story and what Mark Wade does month in and month out and what Chris Samney especially does month in and month out is delivers an incredibly epic story through like five characters right his the characterization that mark wade has with each of these guys is so spot-on fantastic and what has happened spoilers if you haven't read daredevil in a while um matt murdoch has outed himself as daredevil he has come out to the public and said i am daredevil I'm going to wear a red suit all the time. I've taken off the cowl. I fight crime just as me as Matt Murdock. And then I go into the courtroom in my red suit and vest and the whole thing. And, and everybody knows I'm daredevil. They're out in San Francisco. Uh, Foggy is currently battling cancer. Everybody thinks Foggy is dead though. Like Matt Murdock faked his death. They moved out to San Francisco, started a new law firm. Um, Matt and his girlfriend did. And, things are starting to get bad for daredevil again because daredevil is perpetually that character that just gets beaten down upon the world is just kind of always on top of daredevil it's one of the things that we love about him it's a very traditionally tragic story of just when things seem to be going okay similar to the walking dead uh shit starts to come off the rails for matt murdoch in a big bad way and what is happening here the shroud is back the Shroud is looking for a particular person. Um, Shroud has has set up shop on Alcatraz with uh, the Owl. He has taken him prisoner and hooked him up to this machine. Uh, the Shroud has taken control of basically all communications devices. So if you don't want to be found, you can no longer use a cell phone. You can't use a smartwatch. You can't use basically any sort of electronic device. As soon as you do, the Owl will know your exact location, will be able to pinpoint you which is really, when you think about it, for our generation, for people existing today, one of the most terrifying things you could think of. What would you do for most of us? 
think about what we would do if all of a sudden we couldn't use our cell phones, if we were not connected. I couldn't record this fucking podcast. You couldn't listen to this podcast. We would just be so lost and so we would feel so cut off and so insular. And Mark Wade is doing a phenomenal job of capturing just kind of the the hopeless desperation of I just phone call kind of thing. And it's it's really been incredibly well done. And what Matt Murdock has decided to do is go to the Kingpin because the Kingpin has been out of the story for a while. He, Kingpin was pushed out of New York by Spider-Man um, a few story arcs ago, a little while ago, and he's kind of been laying low. We haven't seen him too much in the comics. And now Kingpin is back and he is also in San Francisco because wherever Daredevil is, wherever Matt Murdock is, Kingpin is sure to be relatively close by. And Murdock goes to Kingpin and he offers him a deal. And it was so incredibly well written. This deal that Matt Murdock offers the Kingpin is what what he wants is protection. There are people that are coming after Matt Murdock and he says, look, you know, Foggy is fighting cancer. The mayor, my girlfriend, the people that have befriended me should not be in trouble because they've chosen to be my friend. And the one thing that the Kingpin can do better than anybody else is offer protection. And in exchange for you protecting my friends, I will give you control over my life and death. Matt Murdock will die. Daredevil will continue. But we will make it look as if Matt Murdock is dead. You will decide what type of plastic surgery I get so that you can pick what the fuck I look like. And he says, you know, he's, you can even pick what I look like because I won't be able to see it anyway. And that way you will always have that control over me because you spent so much of your time and so much of your money to find out who I was. And once you found out who I was, I took that advantage away from you because I outed myself. I took away the one advantage you had over me. So I'm offering you that advantage back. Protect my friends. And Kingpin kind of mulls it over. And interspersed with these scenes of dialogue that take place in an art gallery of these very brutal pictures of Daredevil being killed, um, which obviously he can't see, uh, but... Kingpin says the art relaxes him and it's all these pictures of like Daredevil getting his heart ripped out and like demons fucking attacking him and this really dark shit um interspersed with this we see a ninja that looks very similar to Daredevil uh kind of mixed with a hand ninja very much like what the Shadowland stuff was looking like um before Mark Wade took over this book Daredevil had a the Shadowland story arc which I really dug but I know was kind of polarizing to a lot of people Um, where Daredevil basically took over as Kingpin of New York and as the leader of the Hand and had this big temple and there was all this, like, fucked up shit going on. I thought it was a cool story, but this ninja shows up um, on the boat where Foggy is and Daredevil's girlfriend. And I'm going to keep saying Daredevil's girlfriend because for the life of me, I can't fucking remember her name right now. Um, So (laughs) this ninja shows up looking like Daredevil with a mixture of the old Daredevil costume, the yellow and that kind of dirty brown color and some red thrown in there as well with a, a, a kanji symbol um, 
on his or her chest. I, I don't know what it means. I can't read kanji. But this ninja shows up and Kingpin goes to make a phone call and, you know, says, yes, Daredevil has made his offer. Um, but if I have hired well, his offer doesn't mean much to me right now because I already have what he was going to give me. I have his friends. And the last panel of this book is this ninja uh, holding up Daredevil's girlfriend while Foggy is laying in a pool of blood on the ground. And this is, you know, it says next finale part one. And this book is coming to an end very soon. And it's a fucking shame because it's so, so good. And if you haven't been reading Daredevil, now is the time to jump on. Jump on with Daredevil 16. It'll catch you up with everything you need to know. And then you can be in for what is going to be, I can promise you, one of the most satisfying uh, books that you're going going to read. There's just no way around it. This book has been absolutely solid, absolutely incredible. Every issue that Wade and Samney have done has been just spectacular. It, it breaks my heart that this book is ending. It really does. And if for nothing else, then I won't get to see Chris Samney's art every month like I do now. His artwork on this book is so... He's possibly my favorite artist working today. If you don't know Chris Samney's artwork, look him up. Google his name. S-A-M-N-E-E. He is retro while being modern at the same time. It's... It's breathtaking stuff. It deserves your attention. Seek it out. Daredevil 16, best thing I read this week. And that's going to wrap it up for issue 41 of the Paper Cuts podcast. If Dean were here, he would tell you to look in the show notes for information about the books we talked about, plus links to our social media, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Tumblr, our Instagram, all that stuff. It's at GeekAid. Check it out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter also at GeekAidDan, G-E-E-K-A-D-E-D-A-N. If Evan were here, he would tell you about Garden State Comic Fest, July 25th and 26th at the Men in Arena. Paper Cuts podcast will be there in full force. We'll have a panel. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a great show. You should come check it out. So, for all of us here at the Paper Cuts podcast, for Evan Goldstein, for Dean DeFalco, and for Dan Ryan... I'm Dan Ryan.